Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, wherever it is, all you everyday innovators across the globe. I'm so excited that you spend your time listening to these podcasts and gaining these incredible nuggets of wisdom from all the different types of people that we interview here. And I just want to throw out a little bit of a reminder for all of us before we dig in. We interview, as you know, people from all different everyday innovator styles. So like today's guest is a futuristic inquisitive, as you'll hear more about. We've had collaborative tweakers on. We've had risk taker experientials, people in real estate, people in food, people in healthcare. Um, Oh my gosh, the list goes on. Yesterday's podcast that was released as we're recording this was a librarian. So I bring that up because I want you to remember that oftentimes with innovation, The best innovation happens when we listen or hear things outside of our day-to-day lane, outside of that zone that we're so comfortable with and we know so well. So I want you to go through the podcast. I want you to listen to today, and then I want you to go through them, and I want you to find two or three podcasts of people that you think, I have nothing in common with these people, because I bet you those are the interviews that you should be listening to. Speaking of that, let's get into today. I'm so excited for today. Maeve, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and the world that you're in. Okay, sure. So my name is Maeve Webster. I am a food consultant. And um, if you don't know what that is, that's fine. Honestly, my parents at this point, after 21 years, still don't have a solid idea of what I do. Uh, So what that means is I work with manufacturers of food products and food-related products, uh, restaurants, chain account restaurants, uh, commodity boards, any individual or organization that works within the food industry, specifically focusing on food service, which, which is anything prepared like restaurants, cafeterias, all of that. I've been doing it for 21, 22 years now and started my own company, uh, Menu Matters, about eight years at this point. So that is in a nutshell who I am and what I do. I want to ask you a question about food service. Um, Years and years ago, gosh, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago now, uh, I did some work with food service. So with convenience stores, right? The backside of convenience stores and like getting that stuff out. And I, I I was amazed at that point. And this is again, 12, easily 12 years ago, amazed by the lack of innovation that was happening then and the desire for it that had started. And I have to imagine since then, and since you've seen that industry, that food service in particular has really changed in terms of how they think about innovation, not just in like the food, but in the delivery and the process. And I'm just curious, given you've got this kind of long history with it, what type of change that you've seen and how that industry now thinks about innovation. Yeah, so before the pandemic, there was an enormous shifting that was occurring in how operators were, and by operators, I mean any restaurant, cafeteria, anybody who's actually preparing the food. It's an industry term. So any of those operators, they have been looking farther and farther ahead on trends, trying to stay um, much closer in on new ingredients, new flavors, because things are moving so much faster than they used to. I mean, it used to take a trend 
you know, from kind of start to ubiquity, it would take it 10 to 20 years to really kind of make it through that entire process. And because of social media and traveling and people going out a lot more and so many more operators in the industry, that trend line had reduced down to about five years, maybe five to eight years. So they had to move fast. Now, uh, post-pandemic, as you might imagine, the pandemic has now spurred a whole new set of innovation. Now we're talking about operators trying to be more effective and be more successful in off-premise. So anything that's pickup, delivery, drive-through, making sure that that experience is just as good as the on-site experience, since that's now such a huge part of so many operators' uh, business, whether they had been in it before the pandemic or not. And that's true across every segment in the industry. So maybe what kind of interests me as you're saying that is, you know, you look at the trends, you think a change used to, it, it, 10 years, right? You had 10 years to implement the latest trend, and then it kind of went down to five. And kind of what you're just saying with the pandemic, and I think a lot of everyday innovators out there and a lot of industries have experienced what you're just saying, that when there's necessity involved, it's amazing how fast we can change, you know, because, oh. you know, like yeah. March happened. 2020 and then like we all had to change and we did it and those guys too who maybe would have taken longer in the past they found ways to do it right yeah no i i completely agree with you and i do a lot of public speaking and that's one of the big messages i've been essentially espousing to the industry is that look now is the time to innovate you know, before the pandemic, things were so good in food service people had a lot of money to spend people were going out even the weakest operators were successful simply because things were so good. And when you get like that, you become really comfortable and and really stop trying to innovate and create the really new things and the really exciting new inventions. I think the pandemic has, though it's been really hard, kind of weeded out the weak players, those who were unwilling to change, couldn't change, had really poor business practices that were simply, you know, kind of humming along. And I think now it's forced everybody else to take a very hard look at the businesses that they were um, in beforehand and how they were approaching their patrons and, and, you know, menus and everything and really rethink it and say, you know, what's working, what's not working. If it's not working, get rid of it and, and try something completely new. So I think to be honest with you though, as you can imagine, it's been a really tough two years for the food service industry, all industries, but in particular food service, continues to be a challenge. I personally think that food service will be much stronger on the back end because of how much innovation was forced and how many changes and perspectives were forced as a result of the pandemic. So uh, I, I think you speak the truth on that. Like I, I, And I think we're seeing that a lot of industries that were really shaken down through all this. Uh, I don't think the weeding out is always a bad thing. I think that can be good. Yeah, but you said something really interesting in there that I want to dig in a little bit deeper on. You said, you know what, there were people and companies that were doing well before because they were riding the wave. Everybody's doing well, right? And it's easy to get comfortable and not innovate when you're on top of that wave. How do you, now looking forward, how do you think about for yourself and for your clients, helping make sure they don't get back into that comfortable space where the innovation stops again? Because I I think that's why so many... And tell me if you agree, so many of us hit a cliff is because we were on top of that wave and we're like, this wave is going to last. We're good. No wave lasts. So how do you do that? I mean, to be honest with you, question everything. Even the things that seem successful, like they're continuing to go 
along fairly well, even with the pandemic, question it all. I, I, you know, don't assume that it's doing well because that is the right way to do it. And to be honest with you, anytime a client says to me, well, this is the way it's always been done, or this is the way we've all always done. That's like that death statement. Right. <laughs> I completely agree. I mean, that is the one statement that I will immediately dig in on. And why, why have you always done it? You know, how is it working? Why do you think that's the best way to do it? Have you looked at other ways? So I think that everybody now, even the things that are successful and seem to be humming along with no problem, I think you I think you need to tear everything down to the joints, essentially, at this point in your business, on your menu, with your staff, how you're operating front of house, how you're operating back of house, if you're in food service, and, and really think, how well is this actually working? And worst case scenario, if the pandemic rears its ugly head again, sooner or later, do you think that this will continue to do well? I mean, do you really want to be in that position again that you were in two years ago? Everybody should essentially be thinking to themselves, how do I avoid that at all costs? You know, and, and what kind of changes do I need to make? In I order think to that's great advice to think about. How do I avoid that cliff moving forward? How do I stay successful, but in a way that's flexible? I, I think it's a real argument for flexibility in the system of you can do what you're doing and make it work, but you got to, there's got to be some room for flexibility to change because things change. And I think, I think customers change too, even if it's not some big global thing that we've been dealing with. I'll share with you a quick story and I'll share the full story on my Friday wrap up, but I'll just give you the kind of nuggets of it. I was renting a car and I was in line, which rarely happens because I usually, I usually take an Uber or I'm so close to the hotel where I'm going, you know? So it's not like I don't normally need a car, but I'm in line and there are these two guys in front of me and they're clearly there for some new business pitch. They're talking about it. And then one, and we're going our inching our way up. And one turns to the other one and says, I hope this entire rental car industry dies. It is so archaic. So I'm like, he's going to fight with the person up front. Like something's wrong, right? He's mad. Something has gone wrong. And so I like get a front row seat. I'm all excited when he goes up to the counter because I'm all, yeah, this is happening, right? So he goes up though, the transaction happens. He says, thank you and leave. So Whatever it was that he hated about that experience, he didn't even bother to tell them. And I, to me, that, that was a big aha moment of when things change for our customers, they often don't even bother to tell us. So we've got to make sure that whatever business we're in, we're constantly asking, getting feedback, to your point, questioning everything, because those guys exist, I think, everywhere. Oh, I completely agree. You know, and, and the big thing now is, with all of the different ways you can get food and concepts that are coming out and technology that's facilitating food, whether it's new age vending machines to the innovation in convenience stores and, and everything else that's happening with food, no, no restaurateur, no other food service operator can assume my business is safe. I will never have to worry about the up and coming competitor. There are going to be disruptors for every industry and it's only going to speed up because the technology and everything else is going to facilitate easier entry into almost every single industry. And there are plenty of those. I mean, frankly, I think the broadliner distribution industry in food service has enjoyed a very non-competitive situation. And they're ripe for exactly the same kind of, of attitude that that guy at, at the rental car counter had with operators who have felt used, abused, poorly tended, you know, essentially in the minute some kind of competitor comes up, they're just going to leave. They don't, they don't need to tell the broadliner why they're just tired of dealing with it. And they're just going to go on their merry way and, and, and use these disruptors that are going to completely change the industry. 
Well, and I'll say, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing, I'm almost 50 and I expect things to change. If you look at the next generation, they just assume disruption is going to happen and they will jump ship at any moment, no matter how much they love you, if something better comes along, like, and not because they're not loyal. It's just because I think their world is, has always been about disruption. So it doesn't occur to them that that's a, to them, it's not disruption. It's just moving on where to me, it's like, Oh, that changed everything. And they're like, yeah, of course it did. It's two years have gone by. It's time tomorrow. Right, right. And and that's a real challenge, you know, I, and I'm sort of dealing with this with my parents now who are in their mid 80s is, you know, that generation. And there are a lot of them, right, people over the age of 65 who are not used to this level of change and who are trying to keep up. But as we change that quickly, and it is only going to speed up the amount of changes and the speed with which the changes come and companies are going to come and go. We're not going to have those long term companies like the AT&T's that are just going to be around for generations. It's hard for them to keep up. And I think we do need to think, how do we not abandon all of those customers who are trying, but you know, are more challenged with the new technology while still facilitating flexibility, nimbleness, you know, innovation, advancement, and, and everything else. But I agree. I mean, I think that people will jump ship really quickly now because there just simply are better alternatives and there's no need to stay. And they're used to it. But but I do think your point, I just want to take a pause on that for all of us listening. I do think your point about how do we serve the the next level, the next wave, but also not leave behind the big groundswell that is people who take a little bit longer to move to. Like the, there's a reason why you have early adopters and then you have like the kind of mass or ubiquitous. So I think that's an important point though for us to remember. Since we're kind of on the topic of challenges, what's the big challenge that you faced and how have you overcome it? I mean, probably the biggest challenge was when I started my company, at the same time, because I, I didn't have enough to do, apparently, when I started my own consultancy, we actually, my boyfriend and I opened a cafe at the very same time. So we, we, so we jumped into being food service operators while I was also consulting. And so we were working seven days a week for four years, essentially at two separate but full-time jobs. And, you know, to be honest with you, it really was just a matter of to a certain degree, putting your head down and just bearing with everything and just trying to get through it. But I think when I was in that situation, it was also about compartmentalizing and not allowing what was happening at the cafe to bleed into my consulting and getting me distracted, not able to focus and get through that work. And vice versa, you know, when I was at the cafe, being completely focused on what was happening there and not getting distracted. So I wasn't paying attention to how customers were reacting, what was going on with our staff, how our business was going. And that was a real lesson to me in, frankly, not trying to multitask as much as I would have been doing in only one job and just trying to do a lot of things at one time, but rather focusing in to do what I was there to do at the moment, whichever job it was, do it as well as I could possibly do and then, you know, tackle the others later so that I wasn't doing everything only okay, essentially. So I think that's really, first of all, that's impressive to two businesses at once. So kudos to you, uh, <laughs> you. number one. <laughs> Let me just say that. Wow. I also, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, incredible. But I, but I also think there's probably, this is not really my question, but just an observation. There's, if I was a client, I'd be pretty excited that you also were in the business because then you understand, maybe in a different way, but you understand the challenges that I face. 
uh, versus just, and you've been in the business a long time. So it's not that you don't have credibility, but you're, you're out there doing it too. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that. But I want to I want to go back to your comment about not multitasking and you know when you're at the cafe you're at the cafe and when you're consulting you're consulting and about just being really good about not bleeding stuff over and I think that that's a lesson for a lot of us in a lot of places in our lives right in our tasks right like I'm in this meeting I'm in this podcast interview with you and I've got a list over here of 10 things to do but I'm not looking at it right I'm focused on you but then I got to move on to my kids because they don't have school today like when we're interview, we're doing this interview it's president's day they have day off so then I gotta get to that right but not let everything bleed as you were going through that and kind of figuring out how to do that what challenges did you face in that and how, how did you figure out how to do that because my brain really like I can physically do it but sometimes my brain is like I know you're here tomorrow but I'm just gonna take a detour right right no it's hard and and I definitely have been a multitasker going way back you know (laughs) well before I was in food service where I would have a lot of things going on at one time lists in all different kinds of places you know devices going and the whole thing and and so it was very challenging but I will say here's the caveat to that idea of of being focused is when I, you're absolutely right about working at a, actually being a restaurateur and doing it gave me a completely different perspective on, on how I consulted and the way I looked at trends and how I considered how my recommendations would actually impact the back of house or the front of house. So I would say the caveat that I'm going to make is when I was at the cafe, if I had projects going on, of course, they're still running in the back of my head. I mean, it's hard to stop thinking about other things. But if I had an idea that was born out of what was going on in the cafe and relevant to the project that I had going on, I would take a moment to at least note it down. So I didn't lose the thought, but I didn't get so distracted that I dove headfirst into that and then suddenly was out of what I was doing in other places. So I think I think even though it seems counterintuitive, particularly now when everybody's not everybody now, but you know, working from home is a lot more common. You're working on the weekends, you're always connected that um, while you should focus, because I think it does make you better at what you're doing right then, I think constantly taking from that experience you're focused on and remembering that that it could be applicable to so many other things and making sure not to lose that perspective and that insight that you gain by being present. And so I think that it, it seems, again, counterintuitive to, to be so compartmentalized, but it can help you in having better perspective on a much wider array of things. So that I think is a really important point. And, and I think the presence and the focus that you were talking about in the beginning is what allows you to see those ideas and have those crossovers that benefit both places later. So I agree. I, 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 they do sound counter, but they actually really go hand in hand. Um, and, and I think oftentimes we miss those connections or those uh, moments of opportunity in front of us because we're not present right? Because we're doodling. Yeah. And so I think that's, I mean, to me, it almost makes you more innovative and more productive by not multitasking in the sense of like, okay, there's no customers for five minutes. So I'm just going to shoot out this email and okay. uh, (laughs) Right. You know, um, I'm working on this project, but I got to call my staff about this, right? Like that's how I took what you were saying before, Yes, but it does make us more innovative and productive on the back end, I think. I agree with you completely. Yeah. I think being able to, I think um, the more you multitask against a million different things, the less you're really thinking about any one thing that you're actually doing. And and so I think you just become so shallow in your thinking. And I don't mean that in a hyper negative way, but at the same time, it's not helpful. I mean, it's not going to allow you to be as effective as you need to be at any one 
project or task or whatever it is that you've got on your list. Totally with you on that. So all of us listening, just remember that. Pay attention. Focus on this podcast while you're listening. Focus on your work while you're doing it. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market you will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. I want to flip it for a second and kind of talk about the things you're proud of. What are one of those things that you're most proud of or a big win that you've had? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think going off and starting my own company, it, it was a little bit of a risk. I mean, by the time I had done it, I had been in the industry for 15 years. So it's not that I didn't have any experience, but, you know, I certainly wasn't what you'd consider senior level. But I felt that I had some very per- specific perspectives in the way I wanted to approach the industry and how I wanted to handle projects and how I wanted to man- manage clients. And the company that I was with at the time dovetailed with me in some places, but not in all places. And so I really thought now I really feel like now is the time that I've got a clear enough vision that I should go off on my own. And the fact that I did and have never really had to heavily market or sell myself, that I've had pretty consistent work that's been growing consistently as well over the eight years, and that I've been doing it for eight years now. And and (laughs) I will say finally, but uh, you know, truly feel well established and that I don't need to prove myself at this point that people understand that I have a perspective that I've got experience and will come to me. And, and that um, it's, it is a point of pride, I would say. Well, kudos to you because you started two businesses, (laughs) not even just one. Right. (laughs) So well done. Um, And and I always think it's really impressive when, and and I think um, it takes a lot of self-reflection to realize, Hey, in these places I align, but I think I have something unique 
that I can add to the table that maybe I can't do when I'm under this umbrella and good for them and their umbrella, nothing wrong with it, but it's not my yeah, umbrella. Exactly. Right. And, and I think it yeah. takes, a, it takes a little bit of like guts to then go, I'm going to go find, I'm going to go make my umbrella look good, you know? You know, and I would say for that first one, two, three years, it was a matter of, because I did have that feeling when I went off my own, but right after you leave, you do have these moments of doubt where you think, you know, do I actually have a completely different umbrella? I mean, is my perspective that different or am I really just mimicking what I've been trained to do by my former employer? And I think, I think it took a little while for me to really be able to disengage from what I felt like was carryover training and carryover thinking to being very confident in my own perspective. And if it did dovetail still, I think that's fine. Uh, and to your point, the way they do business is not bad. It just was different from the way I wanted to do business. And I think getting to that point where I was comfortable with where it dovetailed, but then also confident in where I was different and that it was different and that my perspective was unique. It took a little time, but I, it, you know, it definitely, I got there and, and it was, it meant a lot when I did. And so, um, yeah, and it was a real, I think, turning point in my professional. Yeah. Career. I want to ask you, I have so many questions for you right now about that journey. Um, so I think that doubt thing that you talked about is something that a lot of us feel, almost all of us really, I, I don't know. I think you're probably a narcissist if you don't have doubt at all. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, whether that is because we've decided to jump ship and do our own thing, or whether that's because we're going for the big promotion, or we're putting a big idea out on the table that's like, you know, never been seen before in my company, but I really, it's bold, right? And I wanted to do it. And I think generally when you're trying to drive innovation of any kind, right? There, there's a level of um, insecurity that comes along with it because you're trying to do something new, whatever that is. And so I'm, I'm curious as you, as you dealt with that doubt that then kind of evolved into a place of like, no, what I've got to say matters and how I'm going to do it matters and, and, and is different and works. How did you overcome that doubt? And I guess the dovetail question to that is how did you realize, yeah, what I've got over here is what I want it to be? So, you know, I think it took a couple of projects to get me to the point where I really did feel comfortable. And so there were a few, when I first started off on my own, a lot of the projects I was getting were similar projects to what I would have been getting at my former employer. So mimicking. And that was fine. I mean, it, you know, it was a, a certain level of comfort for both me and the clients and, yeah. and that's what they knew me for. And that's what I knew how to do. And that was fine. But then slowly I started getting projects that I would not have been approached with. And in some cases, projects that were close to what I had done, but were really different. And I was confident I could do it. I was confident that I had an idea of how I would do it and accepted the projects. But to your point, you'd get halfway in and think, do I actually know how to do this? You know, am I ready? Yeah. And every time I had that moment and that, that doubt, I would take a step back and just start processing out what I was doing, you know, start right. essentially going through the list of, okay, in order to get this done, what do I need to do? What are the data points I need to get? And just get kind of back into that idea of, here is the process. Here's where I start. Here's what needs to happen. Here's where I want to end and all the little pieces that I need to fit together and being able to take that step back and think a bit more about the process and a little less about, oh, you know, like, can I do it? It became nothing more than this step, that step, that step, that step, you know, and that's, I think, a lot easier to bite into than it can become very overwhelming to think only of the big project and only of the final results 
because the final results could be a 150 page report. And of course that's going to be really daunting and stressful. But if you think about this chapter of the report, that chapter of the report and what you need to do, it it's easier uh, to, to be like, yes, I know how to do that chapter. I know how to do each one of those steps and I know how to do the next chapter and those steps and that gets you to the final report. And so I had to do that a few times, like take those steps back and think a little bit more about the process than the final report. You know, um, it, re it reminds me of, um, I play a rock, paper, scissors game with the audience when I speak and I have them do it opposite rules and it's really awkward and uncomfortable and people don't know what to do or who won or like what, you know, and, and it takes more time. Like people, you have to think through what's happening. And it reminds me of what you're saying and how important it is to remember that that awkwardness and that uncomfortable and that uncertainty is part of the process. But I, but I also love what you're saying, Maeve, about, all right, well, if I'm doubting, I just break it down, right? All right, well, what is it I have to do to get this done and to get it done well? And I think that's a really important thing to, to lean on when you have that doubt, because I, I agree with you, I think the doubt and sometimes the overwhelm just comes from not having, feeling like you have a blueprint in front of you. And sometimes you just have to create that blueprint from nothing and it may work, it may not work along the way, but the blueprint keeps you going. Well, I think to your point, yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's okay if the blueprint changes because as you work through the blueprint, there might be changes that make a lot of sense. And being flexible and not feeling so constrained by the blueprint you started with and being willing to make the changes because those are the right changes and you know they're the right changes to make, then that's fine if it shifts. And that certainly happened as well. Um, I know that you have a question toward the end that you, you're gonna ask like what might be surprising. Um, I'll figure something else out when you ask this, but <laughs> I, I did, when I first got out of college, I was acting in New York City. And I remember when I first started acting that they said, no matter what the job is, no matter what they ask you to do, just say yes and figure it out afterwards in order to get the gig. And to a certain degree, that's still good advice, right? You know, say yes um, so that you don't miss an opportunity. But I, I will say, say yes, as long as you're confident that you will be able to figure it out, that, that you're saying yes to something that's solidly within your knowledge base, your wheel set or skills that you know you could easily acquire because of the skills you already have at hand. Um, I do know other individuals who have said yes, no matter what, and have gotten well into the weeds, have gotten way outside their comfort zone and, and their abilities um, in order to do it. And that's when you really start hitting some major road bumps and having some real professional problems. If you just wanna say yes, without really thinking through what the consequences might be if, you, if you're not able to pull it off. So true. And I, I, I'm going to add a layer to that, Maeve, and then I got a question for you, is um, I think when we understand how we innovate and then we can think differently about things, saying yes to just about anything is possible because we, we get more into that creative problem solving, strategic thinking, figure it out mindset. And I find that the people that say yes and fail, you said it, they're in the weeds, right? So they're not actually thinking innovatively about how to figure this out and get it done, they start to get really bogged down in the process. And I think that's where we start to kind of lose sight of, of how to get things done, really. Um, and I think so for you, your everyday innovator style is futuristic inquisitive. So, and I can hear it, what you're saying. It's so cool. So the futuristic is all about forward thinking. Like you're always 10 steps ahead of other people. Um, it's to, today's problems or tomorrow's opportunities. 
And then the inquisitive is all about digging and asking questions. You know, you said about challenging everything. Um, innovations in the questions, not the answers. So it's a lot about, well, why? How come? Pulling back the layers of the onion. So the combination is, is forward and deep innovation. And I, I think particularly in the business you're in, that's very valuable because you talked about in the beginning with trends and change and we're in massive change and, and the food industry in particular and food service, right? You're looking ahead for your clients, for yourself and saying, where are we headed? What do we need to figure out? And then you're challenging, well, why, to your point, why is it done this way? Why is this the way it's always been done? Um, and I think that's interesting. And I think that's probably a lot of reason why for you, you can say yes and then figure it out because you apply both of those things. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, and it's funny, if you take the food trends, for example, just talking about what's happening right now, like kale is growing, kale's big. I mean, it's interesting to a degree, but for me, that's not what gets me out of bed in the morning is to figure out, you know, what what is the kale of the day? But and I'm only using that because it was so big a couple of years ago and it became a joke in the industry about kale. All right. But, um, you know, it's more what does kale say about the direction that consumer behavior is going? Why kale now? Right. What does kale mean? And, and what direction could that take if kale's big now? Not so much what's the next kale, but how will that shift and evolve? What will that mean for the future? How will that or will it fundamentally change? the way consumers think about healthy eating or going out to restaurants. So uh, for me, it is a lot more interesting not to think about what's happening this week, next week, next month, but what's going to happen two years down the line and how do you prepare yourself for that? Because in order to pre prepare yourself for that or preparing yourself for the two and five years down the road is going to make you infinitely more successful than chasing the trends. Right. That than come chasing and go, kale. Come and yeah, constantly, right? And in food, there's a lot, right? I mean, kale was one, you know, popcorn was another. You get these things that pop up and out, which which is even worse now with social media, because now you've got all this crazy stuff that might be popping on TikTok and all the everything else. Um, that if you try and chase it, you're going to be expending so many resources and so much time on something that will give you absolutely nothing in return in the end. So I feel like this was a mic drop moment, Maeve, of what you just said, because and I'm, I'm just, I'm so thrilled in the way you said it is, we're going to call it chasing kale. I love that. And I love kale, by the way. It's yours. But what I hear you saying that is so powerful for all of us is you're, you're not just looking at what's happening right now, but what does that mean? How do, how do all these dots connect of kale and popcorn and alternative milk and like fill in the blank, right? And, and drop off and delivery and whatever it is. And I think sometimes, oftentimes, we confuse information with insights. So we look at information yeah. and we say that is the trend, but that's not the trend. That's, that's, the, that's just the information that we're seeing, right? It's almost lagging in a lot of ways. And oh, what yeah. I hear you saying is, how does that information ladder up to an insight that actually is powerful and can take us to the future? Right. It's more projecting out where it's going to go. I completely agree with you. A lot of people confuse getting a data point from now, or quite frankly, to your point, two months back or, or a year or two back, and confusing that with a prediction of what's going to happen going forward. The two are not necessarily the same. The data point from a year ago is only a data point of then or or maybe relevant now it doesn't tell you anything about where it's going to go in the future yeah. unless you start thinking to your point about how all those data points connect and what direction it may be pointing in now of course that direction might change if let's say a pandemic come, comes along you know any prediction from 2019 or 2020 yeah, is irrelevant 
<laughs> yeah, completely doesn't mean anything at all, right? Um, but but that's okay, right? Because then the, now yeah. you've got a whole new set well, of data points. Data. We're going to shift your perspective exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I just I love the way you said that. Like kudos. I hope all like just really took that in because there is a big difference between like, hey, I'm seeing this and what does seeing this actually mean? So let me ask you this, as a futuristic inquisitive, what advice do you have for other everyday innovators of all types who want to do what, get out there, do what you're doing and innovate and influence and make an impact? I would, and you had kind of alluded to this earlier, and I would absolutely say that this is true, is to not get so bogged down in thinking only about what's going on in your immediate sphere, whether it's the food industry or your business in particular, your clients in particular, always and constantly take steps back. I mean, at this point, based on the way I look at data, I'm looking at what's happening in the health and beauty industry, in the fashion industry, in architecture, travel, technology, medicine. I mean, all of that it provides me new ways of looking at food, gets me thinking of new directions that consumers might go in and how that'll impact how they eat. I mean, being able to constantly take that big step back and take a, a really sweeping look around at so many other industries, in my opinion, and for me certainly, has helped me to have a much better process and a much better way of thinking about what's happening in food and how that food will change. I mean, I think if you get, for so many years, food in particular, thought of itself as food trends beget food trends and nothing else really has that much of an impact, maybe travel, but you know, um, but I think if you think that way, you end up fighting as much against the solution that you're trying to create as you are fighting against the problem you're trying to solve for. Whereas taking those steps back help you think more about the problem and the types of solutions you can consider than constantly trying to force a solution with, with a much narrower way of thinking. That is such great advice to end on. Thank you for that. Wow. I wish I had more time to just dig into that alone. Um, <laughs> my last question for you is a little bit more personal, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? I know you shared one already, so maybe there's another one. Yeah, no, um, actually, I would say the surprise is I do live in Vermont and we have a, a property and we actually keep bees. And we at one point had about 15 beehives that we were managing and loved it until one day, or I should say one week, a bear came through and hit the hives day after day after day and essentially whittled them down to one hive. So it's been a real learning experience living in Vermont. I'll tell you that much. Wow. Are you, you're not from Vermont originally. No, the East Coast. I'm from the East Coast originally, but I've moved around quite a bit. I lived in Colorado for a while, in Illinois for a while, but I've never lived in a place rural enough to have bears literally visit the property. So oh that was new. That yeah, was, that was well, weird. there's two things in there that scared me. One is the bears, obviously. And the second, I'm allergic to bees. So the idea of beehives makes me like, oh, oh my God. But but I, I love the idea of them. Did you get honey from it? Yeah, no, we do. In fact, cool. we, uh, we haven't had the bees in a couple of years because to be honest with you, it was so heartbreaking to lose so many of them. It's the worst feeling to come out and see hives just strewn everywhere because the bears are not careful no, um, when they, they don't when care they break those things apart yeah it was it was horrible but we still have honey from the first year we started Aww. which was about 10 years ago down in the basement so we've got you know we've got a lot Aww. of honey we're working 
That's cool. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. All right, Mae, thank you so much for joining me. I really, um, kudos to you again on both of your businesses and also the impact that you're making in the industry. I think it's great that they have someone like you who, who is so forward thinking and so questioning and is really challenging the people around you to not just jump on kind of what they think is the latest, but, but really look ahead so that they can continue to be successful and, and avoid the cliff we were talking about in the very beginning. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. This was great. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens, bigger impact. Until next time.